0: You are listening to the Regeneration Rising Podcast, a podcast from the Kavira Coalition about the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of agrarians in the United States. Each episode will explore what it means to work in regenerative agriculture, how people came to choose this as their livelihood, and why it's important to them and the future. We hope to build a foundation for a strong community of future agrarians and land stewards with a regenerative approach to community, relationships, and the land.
1: Hello, and welcome to the podcast. My name is Taylor Molia. I'm the new agrarian program Colorado manager here at Kibera Coalition. Today, my guest is Shalini Kara. She is the Holistic Livestock Manager at Apricot Lane Farms in Park, California. Shalini and I had a wonderful conversation about where she started in her journey as an app apprentice, then going abroad and learning about sheep, coming back to learn soil health with Gabe Brown at Brown's Ranch in North Dakota. And then she landed back in her hometown at Apricot Lane Farms. Shalini has this unfettered, love for animals and agriculture. And you can tell she's just full of knowledge. It is so interesting to talk to her. And not to mention, she's just a really wonderful person to talk to. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Just a quick note, though, we did have a little bit of struggles with our audio quality today. We struggled with Wi-Fi for a couple weeks trying over and over again, but I think we got it pretty good. But there are some points where it cuts out and it's not the greatest quality. So thanks for sticking with us and I hope you enjoy. All right. Well, Shalini, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. I know you've taken time out of your busy day. You have so much going on, but thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you guys
2: for having me on here. It's definitely an honor. And it's been a really awesome um, thing to see the new agrarian program kind of develop over the last, I don't know, seven or eight years. And to have them you know, have a podcast is pretty incredible.
1: Awesome. Well, I always start with a couple quirky questions. So, Shalini, where are you calling in from, and what books are on your bedside table? Sure, I'm calling in from
2: Park, California. It's my hometown, a small little town, probably about an hour north of Los Angeles. Um, and the books that I'm reading right now, currently, I am um, reading "Dare to Lead" by Brené Brown, um, "The Dorito Effect" by Mark Schatzker. Want to say it, Schatzker? And then also um, Where the Crawdads Sing, um, kind of as a whole little collection. I like to read a few books at a time, um, some that are personal development, some just for fun, and some for career development, in a sense, with the Dorito effect.
1: I also read some absolutely nothing related to farming books quite often because it's nice to it's nice to think about farming in different ways, but it's also nice to like get into a fiction story sometimes and and not think about farming for five minutes.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's funny because we spend so much of our time just constantly talking about, you know, different production things or what's happening in the agricultural world that it's kind of nice to just sit down and relax for a little while um, and lose ourselves in a fictional fictional world for sure.
1: So um, what originally sparked your interest in agriculture? Did you come from an agricultural family? Um,
2: no, actually not at all. My uh, my dad is a civil engineer. My mom is a computer programmer and I lived a, a very suburban life. Um, you know, agriculture was all around me um, while we were growing up, but it wasn't ever something that I very much paid attention to. Um, and I kind of got into ag in college because I didn't really know what I wanted to major in. Um, and I had a, you know, a dorm, a dorm mate that was taking animal science classes. And these looks like so much more interesting than, um, than the business classes that I was taking at the time. And I thought, oh, well, at least maybe I can be a vet. And she, because she was a pre-vet major. And so I changed my majors because I, I found myself more often than not kind of helping her study and looking through her textbooks and notes. And so kind of, Through that aspect, I was like, well, you know, we should always go after what we want. Um, I'm more interested in in college. And here's an opportunity for me to explore that. And so I was a pre- an animal science major in college. And so that was my first introduction to agriculture in general. And it was all about animal agriculture because I knew that I loved working and being around animals. And so I was very, very fortunate that my first animal science course was uh, an introduction to sheep. And it was actually being taught um, by the, uh, our college's holistic management instructor as well. So my very first foray into ag was through the lens of holistic management. Um, and I feel very lucky that that was my introduction into ag because it, it didn't provide me with any of the preconceived notions of commercial agriculture that a lot of land-grant universities teach to their students.
1: Wow, that's so rare. I went to a land grant university and it was such a long road in not unlearning, but I guess just learning a different perspective. And it's so cool that you had that originally from the beginning. Is this, are you more drawn to sheep because you started with sheep? Um i'm i I guess so. I was always really just drawn to sheep in general.
2: They were like always really cute. um I know my dad had a couple coworkers that he worked with, and um, they had four h animals, and so they had some sheep and we got to see you know some lambs or at a petting zoo. you most often like see goats and sheep there um and I always just really liked them and they were really fluffy and cute. Um, But then through that intro to sheep management, it was since it was my introduction into ag, like I've always kind of leaned towards farms and ranches uh, that integrate ruminants and especially sheep on them um, because of that first introduction.
1: So I've heard a little bit about your adventures and your introduction into agriculture. And I've heard that you've been kind of all over the place. You've been into other countries, other states, like, tell us a timeline of education, kind of where you went from there.
2: Well, after I graduated um, from Cal Poly University, which is in Central California, um, that same holistic management instructor uh, kind of encouraged me to sort of seek out um, more like working opportunities because I knew that I didn't want to be a small animal vet um, and I didn't have enough work experience to really Feel like I was going to make it into vet school, honestly, because of how competitive it is. And so I decided to woof, and through my love of sheep um, and also a childhood obsession with river dance, um, I decided to followed those passions. And I spent 10 months woofing around Ireland. Um, and it took me on a lot of different types of operations, whether they were vegetable operations or they had cattle or sheep. Um, but the ones that really um, felt like home to me were um, ones that had crops and vegetable gardens and you know, cattle and pigs and chickens, and it was just this whole integrated e- ecosystem. And it was through my woofing that I actually realized that I had a passion for farming and ranching. You know, I had one of those aha moments at one point. I was literally knee deep in a sow pen, like cleaning out a bunch of of pig manure, and I was so happy. And I was like, I could do this for the rest of my life because. Most people think about this chore as something like so gross or so disgusting. Or I remember growing up, it was always kind of a threat. Like if you don't study hard, you know, you're going to be flipping burgers and shoveling shoveling poop. Um, and honestly, I had those those thoughts where I was like, oh, I actually want to flip burgers and shovel poop for a living, and I could be happy doing that. <laughs> Um, so after I came back stateside after the woofing experience, I, I kind of realized that I didn't want to go to grad school. I didn't want to go to vet school. Um, and the professor that I worked with very closely at Cal Poly, um, had talked to me about the Quivira Coalition. And I remembered those conversations. Um, and they encouraged me to go back on the website, see when the conference was, see what opportunities were even out there. And I stumbled across the new agrarian program. Um, I was so excited and immediately applied to work as an apprentice at the San Juan Ranch. Um, so I did an eight month apprenticeship there with George and Julie. And I'm so, so grateful and thankful for the fact that they accepted me. Um, I learned so much from them. They're really, really special and incredible mentors for someone who's really, really new to, to, uh, the agrarian lifestyle, you know? I I didn't have any like as much as woofing is an experience it, it, you never really dive that deep into the whole production aspects of things you're really there to uh, lend support and and help out farmers so after that apprenticeship I decided you know as much as I I enjoyed cattle and I I really developed um the skills to raise cattle my calling and where I wanted to be was on a ranch that integrated lives, like more different, like a diversified livestock operation, as well as having a bigger garden and maybe some crops, you know, like having all of these different enterprises really work together. And at the uh, Quivira conference that year, I happened to go to a half-day workshop led by Gabe and Paul Brown. Um, I hadn't really delved into the world of soil health at this point in any way. And it was um, a really wonderful, I was like, oh my gosh, these guys are doing exactly what I think that I want to be doing. And through the, um, there was a networking event and I got a chance to chat with both Cabe and Paul um, and applied to be an intern on their farm um, for the following year. And I kind of Thought, I was like, I never thought that I would go to North Dakota um, in any, any aspect of the matter. Uh, but they accepted me as an intern. And I had asked them if they would be open to extending their six month internship to a whole year, I had spent so much time hopping around seasonally two different farms and ranches that I hadn't really stayed in one spot for an entire production year. And it's something that I was really thinking I was missing. You know, what does happen in the winter months? Where where does the planning come in? And I would like to be a little bit more involved with that. And they were very open with that. And so the initial six-month application turned into almost six years um, spending time with Gabe and Paul and there, you know, the, the level of eye-opening that I got and the soil health education that I got um, is really priceless. I'm, I'm so grateful for all of the time that I got to spend there. Um, and while I was working there, I definitely did a lot more of the direct marketing um, aspects of that farm we were just on the like boots on the ground starting to run off with their direct marketing business, nourished by nature. Um, and we went from one drop-off location um, to having, you know, one in five different cities and going to farmers markets all over the state. We started shipping nationally and really developed the the website and e-commerce aspect, which really kind of exploded for us um, during COVID. And that was really incredible to see. And the networking Opportunities that I got just based on the people who visited and the network that Gabe has, and all of the amazing work that he's doing, um, was really, really special. And I'll really hold all of the time that I got to spend there really dear to me. They are really, really incredible people to work with. We're doing um, very important work for the regenerative agricultural movement. Um, As many people, it's it's hard to say and be like, oh, yeah, Gabe. Gabe's kind of cool. Um, and then, you know, people come back, they're like, oh my gosh, yes, yes, he is. I was like, yeah, it was a very, very special time in my life that I'm um, very, very thankful for and will always, always hold North Dakota um, in a weird way. You know, it's one of those states that I never thought that I would visit, um, let alone really fall in love with the plains. And, you know, as much as people are like, how did you handle the cold and the extreme weathers? And it's like it's a different lifestyle and you kind of get used to it and it's and it just the the calling of what we were doing and and the education aspects and providing nutrient dense foods for our community and people all over the place it really resonates and it inspires at least it inspired me to get up every morning no matter what the weather was but you know life life has its transitions and I found myself, you know, coming back to my home state and um, coming back to my hometown and wanting to, you know, be closer to my family and, and help out with things around here. And I had always had apricot lane farms um, on my mind. I was so excited when they first started to even hear about a farm that was implementing regenerative biodynamic practices in like literally in city limits, almost um, definitely it's on the outskirts of of where I grew up. But it was just always so exciting to me, and I followed their their story, and was even more excited when um, you know the documentary came out. I was like, that's my hometown. That's really cool. If I ever have to move back home, I should like really t- reach out to them to see if there's going to be a position available. And I made it back home and I reached out and all of a sudden there was this position for the holistic livestock manager. And it was, it was so, it was like the universe was telling me like, this is exactly where you need to be. Cause they're like, oh, you need like five years of like all of the, the requirements for this application. I was like, wait, I check all of these requirements. Like this is really, really weird. Um, and it felt so right, uh, to come back and be able to do this, you know, in my own community and give back to my own community, um, in a position that the universe weirdly tailored made for me. And I, I feel so grateful and so lucky, um, that, you know, I found it at the exact right moment that I needed to. Um, and so it's been a joy to work there. The community of people that I get to work with on a daily basis is inspiring. And um, I am, I'm extremely, extremely lucky to have found uh, a place right by home.
1: Yeah, it sounds like you've had experience in all different aspects of agriculture. You went from cattle ranching and out west and then kind of went into farming and more of well a a lot of different places but it sounds like you went into farming a little bit and then integrating livestock and then sort of the marketing side and then now you're kind of back at um you know livestock but you also probably have a tourism aspect to your job is that right Yeah, yeah, actually I do. Um, You know, we're
2: really, the farm is ramping up their um, tour schedules and I um, am lucky to kind of give tours to people um, around the farm and introduce them to all of our animals and and really teach a lot of people um, about what we do. And I think something that's really special about the location of this farm is that the, and and just their audience is that it's reaching more than just producers it's reaching so many more consumers and educating them about the importance of how food is being raised and and what we do to try to really heal the land i think one of Gabe's biggest strengths and and what he does is to educate producers of you know how should we farm but one of the struggles that we found was how do we really connect with consumers. And I think that if we're really going to make any big changes in our food production system, it's going to come from the demand of consumers who want to know how their food is being produced and where their food is being produced right now and what that food is is doing to their bodies and nourishing them. And so I think that my my passions for you know providing nutrient dense foods for a community have translated here on an education level of, I get to be a part of this bigger voice um, that has a, a really incredible audience.
1: What would you say is your favorite? At this point, you've had kind of a more than a toe dip into each sort of aspect of farming, but what do you consider your like strength or your, maybe even just your favorite part, you know, in terms of like farm farming, vegetable production, crop production, animal husbandry, marketing, education, tourism, kind of where, where is your heart lie? It's, it's
2: a toss up right now, I think, um, between the animal husbandry aspect and really developing a personal connection with the animals again, because, I think that, you know, the marketing side of things is a huge driving force in a lot of small businesses. And it had not taken me away from, from the production side, but my focus was more on the marketing side. And the reason I got into ag was because of my love of animals. And so to come back to a place and a position where that's my sole purpose is really, really wonderful. And it, and it feels so right for me.
1: Aside from tangible skills you've learned along the way, what are some lessons you've learned from your experiences that you'll take with you as you go along in your journey? What are some of the sort of big lessons that you remember learning?
2: One of the biggest lessons that I've learned over my time here in ag is that there isn't a a specific prescription of how to do something the right way. You know, every landscape, every ecosystem is going to be different in its own way. And so what we have to do as producers is really figure out what works for the land and the observations of of what's happening and what is nature telling us, and then be able to pick and choose kind of the different practices that come from so many different schools of thought you know, and we can all combine them to figure out what works best on an individual manner. You know, there were so many times working alongside Gabe when he was developing, you know, cover crop mixes for different producers where they're like, we just want to know what's going to be best for our soils. And he was like, well, it's hard to know that at this point because it might work here, but it might not work exactly as you want it to on your piece of land. And so, the creativity that it takes to be a food producer in that regard is is also like just really exciting to me. There's the stereotype of a dumb farmer who just gets told what to plan and what to input, but to do it when you're working alongside um, and in tune with nature takes so much more creativity and innovation and it's and more of the curiosity of what is this land telling me. What is that weed that's supposedly a weed telling me about what this piece of land wants in general?
1: I struggle as a producer myself, very small scale, but sometimes I'm so surprised at certain challenges that I face. And then I kind of step back and I realize, you know, agriculture, it is something that we are making happen like we are choosing to make agriculture happen otherwise it would do otherwise it would do other things you know go on a different mm-hmm. path and so we are kind of you know in every way agriculture no matter what you're doing you are altering nature right you are changing something about nature and so there's a
2: manipulation
1: aspect for sure right and it's like sometimes i'm just so surprised at the different how how hard it can be and then i step back and i'm pretty humbled by the idea that we are, it is quite, it's quite arrogant to think that we, sh- this should just be easy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's like <laughs> yeah. pretty ignorant of the idea like that we're just, we're just plopped here in, in this big universe and we have to make a, a way to f- feed ourselves. And it sometimes is funny. I, I step back and I go, well, yeah, it's hard. Like, yeah, (laughs) and like no one said there should be this many people to feed and like no one said that. And so it's just, we're all trying our best and it's, you know, the challenges that we face, I think too, you just have to put them in perspective. For sure. Especially when
2: I first got into farming, I think something that really took, kind of took me back was I didn't realize, you know, how in tune humans or how out of tune humans are with the seasonality. Of of the world around us, you know, like it didn't. I was sure it was like, oh, sure, it got a little windy during this, like, you know, fall seasons, or it was hot in summer. But beyond that, it never really occurred to me how the rhythms of our own energies are are so um, should be so intrinsic. And coming into this agrarian lifestyle, it is where you're like, oh, I am tired in winter, and it's not just. I mean, it it is because you know it's a grand push during the growing season. Um, but you know, the land's tired too, and we all need to rest and rest is so important. And I never, I never really thought about rest too much. Um, but with the holistic mindset and the holistic management lens of how important rest is for the land, I never really considered how important rest was for humans, um, as well. And being in this lifestyle, trying to keep in tune of yes we 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 manage our our grazing animals in a rotational manner because we want to give the land rest or we don't you know breed back or we leave the you know we wean the calves at this certain time because we need the moms to rest a little bit um and I never considered how much rest humans need in and I think that was more apparent to me coming into the agrarian life, um, over the last 10 years. um, and it's becoming more and more apparent to me as I get older and your body's like, Ooh, can't do that anymore. (laughs) I I need to like take care of myself and rest as well. Um, but I think it's, it's amazing how, how many lessons, you know, nature has for us. And like, even just living in this agrarian lifestyle of, just like human human lessons that we need to take and not just like put out there onto the land that we're working.
1: Yeah, actually it's so funny that you you know, you kind of answered my question. My next question was actually what surprised you most about the agrarian lifestyle coming from a non-agricultural background? Yeah. Um I I would say that would be one of the surprises,
2: but another another one that really I It surprised me and I struggled with initially, you know, when I first started woofing or um, working on farms in general was no one ever really talks about the whole life cycle um, very much. You know, we definitely kind of graze over what death means. And I was really taken aback by, you know, the amount of death that you experience in this lifestyle. Um, whether it's animals or plants or, you know, different things, you know, like some cover crops need to be terminated so that you can put your cash crops in and do we go after the pests And, and what does that look like? And it changed my entire perception of what death is because I always, you know, growing up outside of this, this world, I always assumed death was like an ending, Whereas it's, it's not even an ending. It's just the beginning of a new cycle where all of those nutrients are being recycled. They're being put back into the earth. And it's not, it's not even death. It's more like it's giving life to different life forms. You know, the, the decomposers of our world, the microbiology and the soil, everything that takes what I had considered death at one point in my life, it's actually giving life to something else. And that paradigm shift, it took me a while to get there. It, I struggled quite a bit, especially through my first lambing season. Um, I, I had struggled with that a lot, uh, but I was I was taken aback that, having gone through, you know, these cycles over the over the last how many years I've been in, in AG, that my entire perception, around a life cycle has completely shifted.
1: Yeah. Was there a um, particular experience that were you, was really formative for you? Did you have a really hard time that first land that you lost or the first you you lost? It
2: definitely was uh, the first you that I had experienced a really tough labor. Um, you know, it was on a, on a farm in Ireland and um, she, you know, really couldn't she couldn't get her lambs out we couldn't get her lambs out and at that point you know the lambs weren't going to make it even if we did get them out and she was in so much pain and there was really like at that point and coming from like now i'm like realize i was like what else could we have done at that time but realizing from a farmer perspective of like oh if we even tried to to save her or brought the vet out like we can't afford we can't afford the vet we can't you know like what is the return on this and then to have i had to hold her i had to hold her down as the farmer called her essentially um and one it was my first experience with guns ever cuz i grew up in suburban california and so that that was a shock in itself and then i I held her literally as her life force was leaving. And I, I had a really, really tough time with that. And then also, you know, there was 200 sheep that were lambing. And so the amount of lambs that were stillborn or it got cold and abandoned and they were like lambing out in a field. And so the lambs that we were putting into the compost pile, it just, it rocked me really to my core because I was just like, oh my gosh, there's babies everywhere. This is so magical, and it's so beautiful, and it's so wonderful. And then here was this like, essentially dark side of the thing that I, you know, couldn't even consider. But at the same time, you know, of that same lambing season, there was a um, a lamb that was really struggling with some hypothermia, and we had to tube feed it. And then he came back, and he was a bottle baby um and that i had raised for you know the four months that i spent on that farm and then i returned because this was a farm that really really left an imprint on my life i returned probably about six months later and i was like oh there's no way that this lamb is going to remember me in any way um and i went to go visit the flock and it, he and I had named him Liam because I was in Ireland and what's the most like stereotypical Irish name (laughs) is Liam
1: you have a bunch of I feel like Irish names they're such great Irish names like you have such great yeah
2: (laughs) it's Liam the lamb
1: (laughs) Um,
2: and he came it's funny because I was you know my sister was was visiting we were you're traveling around Europe and we went to this farm and um he came running up to me and I was like Oh, right. This is why I love farming. (laughs) I was like, this is why I love making the connections with animals, even though, you know, honestly, at that time I had blocked out how dark lambing season was for me emotionally. Um, But it's those like reminder moments that kind of got me through a little bit. And then once I really started delving into the world of soil health, did I kind of start coming to my realization of, of life cycles and nutrient cycles and the importance of death in those cycles?
1: Wow, yeah, that is it hits a nail on the head i I remember we had, I only have like a handful of sheep, but it's, I remember we raised bottle lambs one year and I lost one in my hands, you know, like you said. And I was like, I'm never doing lambing again. And then sure enough, I had one season. I had like one great season last year where I didn't have to assist at all. And I had these freaking cute little lambs running around and no assistance. And I was like, okay, I'm back. I'll, I'll take more. And I like, sure enough, like bought more use and was like, all right, let's do this again. Um, it pulls you back in. <laughs> it, oh, it Somehow, you know, they're like, why
2: do I do this? And then... <laughs> You know, the moon the thing they we go around. We do the sun goes around us yes. and then we're like, Oh, we want to do this again. Yes. And yes. you kind of it really there's there's a gravity to this lifestyle that really calls out to individuals. Um and I, I do believe it's not really for everybody, right? It's very certain personalities. There are more coming out, more and more coming out as needed. Um, but it calls back to us,
1: <laughs> right, right, for sure. Yeah. So, tell me about your position at, at Apricot Lane. Like, um, what what is your so sort of, your day to day look like? So,
2: I oversee, um, basically, all of the animals on Apricot Lane Farm. So, we have a small herd of cattle, um, a flock of sheep, uh, like four breeding sows, and the piglets that come with them. Um, and then we have layer chickens and um, meat birds, uh, turkeys, ducks, six guardian dogs to watch over all of, all of our animals um, in different facets and a horse. I also oversee um, the management of our pastures and um, I act as a mentor for the apprenticeship program. So I do a little bit of work in the apprenticeship program as well. Um, and so, uh, what I have found one is a lot of my day to day is actually, uh, managing people who are doing all of the work, um, on the land and with the animals, um, and the sort of sometimes the admin side uh, that comes with that, but also it's just the interpersonal relations that it takes to run a few different teams. And right now, it's really exciting. We're actually right at the very start of lambing season. We had our first baby lamb yesterday. I think she was a little bit of an outlier because we kind of had a random heat wave. Um, and she was our oldest you. And it makes sense that <laughs> she was like, I am done being pregnant. It is end of February. It's 86 degrees. This doesn't make sense. Like, I'm done. I mean, we're going, we're going back. We have, everyone's like, oh my God, it's going to get freezing. And I was like, you guys, it's going to be like 60 degrees. That makes sense for March. And so we're going back into a little bit more of like a normal temperature range, which everyone here, I think most people are, are lean into the warmer weather a lot more than I do. I definitely am a very seasonal person at this point in my life. And I'm like, it is not supposed to be 86 in February. This is odd. And she felt the same way. So we had our first lamb, but we do run just a very small flock. You know, we have 15 ewes and a couple rams, but that's kind of, the most exciting aspect um, right now. And we are also rolling out for the first year like an official turkey program. You know, we raised a few turkeys last year and they came out amazing. And so we're really trying to see if that's something that we can add to our product line here. So we're really, really excited about that. And yeah, through, through my position there, I think that my background is really putting more of a focus for for these departments on soil health. Like what are these animals doing for us? And what can we do? Like we will do the best we can to take care of them in the best way we we can possibly do that. And that is, you know, a given. But how do we how do we utilize what they're giving us to better the land in the best way possible? As well as it's definitely a challenge here in Southern California where we don't get that much rain and we are in an extreme drought. And so right now, our pastures are fairly reliant, pretty heavily reliant on our irrigation systems and, and water inputs because we just don't have rain and at most, most times of the year um, in order to sustain what we want to do. And so our goals for, for this, this whole department and system and farm is to how do we now really start transitioning our pastures to more native grasses and drought tolerant grasses, warm season perennials that will still give our animals the best, most diverse diet as we can to give them their best life, but also, you know. Lessen the load that we're taking out of the aquifer.
1: I know that's a huge issue in a lot of places. And I, I, when I watched that film, The The Biggest Little Farm, I, I, that was the first thing I noticed was like the sprinkler shot where they had the sprinkler hitting, and it was like that's when it started. And for most of the West, that is how it started. And now we are have a lot of these grasses that don't really belong here. Um, uh, hem, um brome <laughs> where yes. we are we have so That's much how so much brome. there's That's so, so many so much brome and there's just it's a fine grass it's fine but it's right it's like it just it doesn't serve us very well and it's pretty high water if you want it to actually stay green. So how are you guys going about doing that? Have you strategized that yet? Um, a, a little
2: bit, you know, I think we're, we're going to look, um, a little bit more into some key line, uh, design to sort of catch some Mars because c- we do have, you know, some fairly hilly areas, but really looking into what was here before. And I'm, I it's interesting because I didn't think that I would be doing this as much, but I'm I'm starting to go back to my nap apprenticeship and be like, okay, well, what were the grasses that we were grazing on there? And I was like, I remember blue grandma being like favorite grass out there. Like I loved the eyelash seed head. And yeah. And I like (laughs) I I missed it. I really did. And and so I was like, that was a native grass that did really well. And the cattle loved it. And how do we get that established here? And what other, you know, native grasses from this region? Because California did used to be, you know, a bit of grasslands. We had grazing animals in this area that were um, preyed upon by our, you know, state animal, the brown bear. Like, how did we do that and move away from, like, how were those landscapes, like, suddenly so drastically different in in these, in these drought times. And so how do we go back to those native grasses that really do well in our area? And so right now I'm definitely a little bit more in soil building mode, um, where I want, I, I personally would like to see the soils be a little bit uh, more robust in our pastures, they're doing great in comparison to a lot of areas. They're amazing, honestly, in comparison to a lot of areas in this area, er- um, or a lot of of our neighbors' areas, uh, neighbors' land. Sorry, in this area, because they've been doing amazing work over the last ten years, as as you know, evident on their um, in their documentary, but. With that, you know, there's always room for improvement in any piece of land. And so I think that if we increase our soil health now, which I'm trying to do by by grazing um annual cover crops and soil builders in that respect. And so once we get to the soils to a level, I think that the stance of perennials will take better in a healthier soil system and just try to work our way through that. It's honestly it's a it's a bit of an experiment for me. I've I've been on very established ranches uh, my whole life, and I am this is this is the first position where I'm not a sole decision maker, but a primary decision maker. And with that responsibility, is it's an honor for sure, but it's a new one for me. I I was like I I think this will work, <laughs> and. <laughs> And I, I hope it'll work. And if it doesn't, we'll go back to the drawing board and we'll figure this out. It's kind of the same, same thing that I was talking about earlier. where There's not one prescription where I was like, I'm not going to bring everything that they did in North Dakota here because we're not in North Dakota. And I now have to learn this landscape and this ecosystem and these seasons here and see what, what will work best. And so a lot of what I, what I know, and I would like to do is, you know, kind of test plots. It's it's like, does it work at this pasture? And if it does, maybe it'll work everywhere else. But, you know, and it, and that's actually one thing that I really did take away from Gabe where people would ask him like, how do I know if this is going to work? He was like, well, you just got to try it out on a, like a small area of the land. Like if you're not ready to transition your whole farm, that's okay. But just try a little bit on a certain like small area see if it works and then kind of keep experimenting on that small area. If it does, then you can really implement it farm
1: wide. I feel like there is this sort of pressure when you're young and becoming a decision maker to feel like you should know all the answers. But I also know of so many other land managers who have been on the same piece of land for a long time. And they're also like that. Like, they're also, I don't know that with time, you all of a sudden know how to treat every piece of land all the time. Like even Gabe, I think would be challenged by Southern California. And I think, you know, it's, it's just interesting to have you step in that position and feel like, oh shoot, I don't, I don't quite know, but you know what? Like nobody knows until they do it.
2: Yeah. I have to say, I, I completely agree with you. And I think, For me, it's it's interesting because like I am also in this role where I'm hiring people and I was like, what I am also looking for is not just the curiosity, but the humility to be like, we actually don't know all of the answers. None of us know all of the answers. And so what we can do is work together and collaborate. And one of the really, really special things about being at Apricot is the fact that they have attracted you know, really, really special humans to this piece of land. And I now get to collaborate with people that know more than me in various aspects of agriculture. Where I'm like, okay, well, how do we get more like microbial activity? And they're like, okay, now I have an entire fertility team to teach me about, yeah, to teach me about the different composting. They're like, we have windrow composting, we have hand piles. They've got vermicomposting and teas and all of these things that I don't know that much about. And it's it's so exciting to be like, oh, I don't have to have all the answers where we can all work together and, and figure this all out together. And, and I think that at times, sometimes like with that mindset of, oh, maybe I do have to have all these answers. It can be really isolating and it can be really lonely, but that's not a feeling that I've gotten on this farm in any way. And it's not like I have to teach myself how to do these things. I have to do all the research myself. Um, and I, you know, I think a lot of, small farmers really put that pressure on themselves, which is really tough. But when you have networks and you have the humility to reach out and be like, I don't know this, can you help me, is such an important skill to have. And it leads to even better results.
1: A lot of our apprentices... They start in our program and they sort of get two years at most under their belt in our program. And then they're kind of popped out into the world and sort of trying to find jobs and trying to figure out where they belong. And I'm always super curious to see, I think alumni are like the older brothers and sisters. Um, That's how kind of I view it is like, and it's really cool to get advice. You know, how, how many years did you feel like it took you from the very beginning to like the very first agricultural experience you have until this point? Because I feel like you're at a point where you're, you you can actually have enough confidence to manage people and make decisions. How long was that process? I was a
2: 2014 NAP apprentice. Um, and so I'm trying to think, We where are we at now? So eight years. <laughs> Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's just shocking I think to a lot of people is like eight years like they kind of think it's like a trade school where you you get, you know, two years of some training and you're ready to go. Yeah. Um but yeah, you can speak more about that. No,
2: I definitely I came out of the apprenticeship and I was so grateful and I was like I know so much more, you know, I've got business aspects. I I know how to run QuickBooks. I know all of these things and I was confident in my abilities, but I also knew that then it comes to that humility aspect It was like, I have so much more to learn. And I, I was kind of, I don't want to say slapped in the face with that, but like really came to that realization at the Quivira conference where I was hearing all of these experts in their fields. And I was like, I know nothing. Like I, I need to learn from these people. And, and it's one of those things where I think, you know, we're in ag and there is this grand push of, we need more new blood. We need a younger, more energetic aspect. And I find sometimes when I talk to, to new agrarians where they're like, oh, well, all the old farmers are ruining the world or, you know, it's because of them that, you know what I mean? Like they, There's this kind of notion where they're like, they brought us into this situation. And, and I, I had struggled with that a lot because I was like, they've done this for generations. And the reason they're doing it the way that they're doing it is because that's how the system is right now. You know, like there, we do have to change an entire, it's like a whole societal change essentially. And that isn't at the fault of the older farmers, but they have so much more knowledge that they are willing to share and if we rely on the people who have been doing this generation generationally and learn from them and listen to them and that's you know even something before i went into the nap apprenticeship is like my favorite thing to do in ireland was go into the pubs and listen to the old farmers well one complain about the weather always because I don't know I don't know a farmer that doesn't complain about the weather. I complain about the weather all the time. But even just like having the conversations with them, no matter what type of agricultural practices that they're doing, there is such wisdom and knowledge about the land that they're on. And it took me a while to kind of realize that. But it it is a, for me, it was a, a long process of of just kind of sitting back and listening. And, and kind of soaking in as much as I could. And I'm still at this point, I'm like, I don't feel like I really know what I'm doing. And I have to, try, like, there's a lot of imposter syndrome where I'm like, I, should I be running these things? I don't know. I've only been doing this for eight years where there's people who have been doing this for 30 and 40 years and they know so much more than us. But to kind of give, give ourselves the grace where like, yeah, if you come at any learning opportunity, with that open mind and that curiosity, you're going to take all of these things in and to kind of like, I I guess I struggle with imposter syndrome <laughs> at, every, at every given point. But at the same time, I also know that the life experiences and, and my agriculture experiences have brought me to this point for a reason and to trust my own self in that I know instinctually what I have learned. And I can implement that on, on any piece of land that I'm on and still learn from those around, you know, like the, they have had this farm for 10 years. And so coming into this position, I was an autumn, like I'm, and I'm still not at the point where like, well, you guys are doing this, this, and this wrong. Um, Because, you know, the experts quote unquote say that you should be doing it in this way. It's like, no, this is your land. Like, I'm actually here to learn from you to manage it better with you, rather than come into a space and be like, I've learned all of these things, and we should change what you're doing, you know?
1: Yeah, I think it's so tempting to read the books and watch the videos and then, and then go, Yes, we got it. You know, we've, we just have to tell them and they just need to change, you know, that's all it takes is we need to teach them. And I think that can be such a harmful um, structure. And I think it causes so much divide when people especially, who didn't come from agricultural backgrounds, just kind of come into other people's space and say, hey, this is how you do it, right? (laughs) And then they're like, oh, okay, like we could try. But it's like, I think it's like you were saying before with just testing it, like testing it out and like in that transition, but also using the knowledge they already have and acknowledging that they also come with so much heritage and so many traditions that are important.
2: Yeah, it is it is. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there where, you know, through working with interns at the, at the Browns Ranch and working with apprentices here, like, yes, there is so much um, information out there. There's so many resources. There's so many books and YouTube videos that we can watch and learn from people who have been doing it for a really long time, but then to be like, these are the. These are the practices that you need to be implementing. You're doing it wrong because so and so says we need to be doing it this way. And it's that same like prescription mindset where it's like, no, we actually just need to take our cues from the land and from the people who know the land that you're on first before you're like, and I'm not, I'm not knocking any of those practices in any way. <laughs> Cause there's 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 so much clout to them. But, you know, I think that. Um, having having the ability to kind of take a step back. And I, one of the most important lessons that I learned just over my years is the power of observation. And it's not even just observation of the land, it's the observation of the people who are working the land and how do you integrate yourself in a more harmonious manner with nature and with the people who are working with nature.
1: And I think that's why the agrarian lifestyle is really for a lot of people and why it draws a lot of people back is because it's not just a job, it's the whole thing. It's like, yeah, it's the whole body thing. So outside of farming, you know, you are a multidimensional person. (laughs) Um, Outside of farming, what else fulfills you? I would say uh, time with my family and
2: friends and making those connections with people. Um, Growing up in, you know, a South Asian and, and Filipino community here, um, having that village is so important in every aspect of my life. And to be able to come back to that village and be like, very close to them again, is is really special, especially, um, you know, I'm going to make a shout out, but my, my sister, <laughs> my sister just gave birth to my nephew, I'm gonna, I'm gonna claim him um, a year ago. And he is 13 months now. And so to be able to watch him from the day he was born and watch him grow up is, is incredible. And I, I really wouldn't give it up for anything, but other than that, other things that fulfill me is really just kind of the, it's, it sounds really stereotypical, but being out in nature, I love hiking. I, I do a lot of meditative practices of grounding myself, um, to, to being present, of engaging my five senses of what am i smelling what am i hearing what am i feeling and it's so often when i'm feeling something it's because my hands are are in the soil and i i want to be grounded with the land where i'm at and i and i use those practices wherever i go and try to do them on a daily basis because it really just it it makes me feel like more like myself honestly
1: Yeah, I noticed some of the words that you were using and sort of the way that you hold yourself, I could kind of tell that you practice that you're kind of in tune with that, you know, it's also, it's like one of those things too, that I felt like the more I learn about breath, it's like the only thing we really have is our breath. (laughs) And that man, it just like, that has helped me a lot through crazy farming situations and immense stress, you know, it's like, just keep breathing. And then sort of, I don't, I don't know if everybody sort of subscribes to that mindfulness, but there's a, there's a way to do it in many different forms. Yeah.
2: And I, and it's interesting how people always find, not always, but people generally find the form that works best for them. It's not the same for any one person. Um, and it is, I think that's one of the most fascinating things about humanity is that everyone finds their grounding, um, peace in different ways and it's interesting to learn how they do
1: that and especially in agriculture and it's it's just so many different kinds of people doing the same thing trying to <laughs> just trying to feed ourselves <laughs> so my last question um, so you're a person of color in agriculture and you've been all over the world you've been to Ireland and to the Midwest and now back to California um, what advice do you have for young people who are bipoc or LGBTq or sort of don't don't have an easy time per se getting into agriculture what kind of advice would you have for them i would say i guess there's this preconceived notion
2: that agriculture is a very exclusive industry you know there's this picture painted that it it is dominated by by cis white males um and that's does not it is a reality, but at the same time, what I have found in my experience where people are like, how did you go to all these rural places? And, you know, did you experience racism? Did you experience any adversity? But what I found about farmers and ranchers is they are some of the most open and willing people on this planet. They just, especially in our industry of regenerative and sustainable agriculture, where it's like They just want to take care of the land and they don't really care where you're coming from and the care of what we do and, and the importance of what we do do takes precedence. And so as much as there is fear in, in rural life and, you know, at any given point, there is a, a common sense aspect to it, right? You do still have to protect yourself. The world isn't this rosy, wonderful place as we would like it to be, in any way. But at the same time, from my personal experiences, is if you come to any opportunity with an open mind and with that humility and that willingness to learn, everyone around you wants to teach you. They want. They want us to be able to keep producing food because we have to. And like there, if anything, at, at like there, everyone's just so excited if there's new blood, you know, coming in or new energy coming in. It's more coming at it with an open mind, coming at it from a place where I'm here to learn from you of how to manage this piece of land.
1: I am so astounded by the thoughts that you brought today. We have had, um, I think, uh, four opportunities to interview and every time one of our computers had a glitch and it, you've been so patient, but I am so happy that we, we pushed through and I got to interview. I've, I've been looking forward to talking to you for so long and, um, you really brought some beautiful ideas. And I think you're usually at the conference every year. Are you planning to come to the, to the conference later this year?
2: yes I I have a yearning to go every year it hasn't worked out quite as well as I would like Um, I would like to come to this year's 2022 conference because I I miss the community and I want to reconnect and I do think that I'll have the opportunity to do that this year but Taylor thank you so much it was a complete honor to even be asked to be on this podcast and I'm so excited about all of the work you guys do and the development of the new agrarian program. You know, I it's funny because I tell people it's like when I was there, there was only like four of us apprentices. <laughs> like that was a total number, and two and and two ranches and and to have seen it grow to the point where it's at now. And knowing that like I remember talking to someone, they're like, Yeah, we've got ranches in Montana, and I was like, holy, that's awesome. <laughs> It's, it is incredible. And it is so exciting. And this, this program changed my life. I don't know if I really would be in ag without the new agrarian program. And so thank you all for what you do. And I'm just, I'm, I'm very grateful that you guys have even thought about me.
1: Well, thanks again, Shalini. so much to Shalini for joining us today. If you'd like to follow Shalini on social media, her Instagram is at S-H-A-L-K-A-R-R-A. And if you'd like to learn more about where she works, you can go to apricotlanefarms.com.
3: Looking for a job in regenerative agriculture? Kivera Coalition has spent decades building a network within the regenerative agriculture community, and we love to share job, internship, and apprenticeship opportunities with our community through our podcast and monthly newsletter. Southwest Farm Fresh is seeking a manager to oversee sales and operations of a farmer owned cooperative food hub in southwestern Colorado. Leadership and participation in all aspects of food aggregation, distribution, and marketing are required. The position is available immediately. To apply, contact buy local at southwestfarmfresh.com. The Good Food Collective, GFC, is currently seeking a full-time food security program director to oversee all aspects of the GFC's food security initiatives. Their ideal candidate is a global thinker whose strengths include systems thinking and ideation, flexibility in dynamic and emergent environments, and excellent execution and follow-through. This position is based in the Four Corners region and requires a weekly check-in at GFC's office in Durango, Colorado. To apply, submit a cover letter and resume along with three professional references in digital form to Rachel Landis at rachel at Every month, we include job postings in our monthly newsletter. So if you don't already receive our monthly newsletter, visit cuveracoalition.org to sign up. Have a job opportunity to share yourself? Send it to newagrarian at cuveracoalition.org so we can include it in our next newsletter and podcast.
0: Thank you for listening to Regeneration Rising, a podcast production of the Kavira Coalition. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and other popular podcast platforms. If you'd like to support this podcast, visit kaviracoalition.org slash podcasts to become a sponsor or Patreon supporter. We'd like to thank Kavira staff members Leah Ritchie, Taryn Dixon, Taylor Sanders, Leah Potterwaite. Tyler Eshelman, and Tafari Finn for their contributions to producing this podcast. This episode was edited and engineered by Caleb Wenzel Fisher. Wanderlust, our theme music, was made by Scott Buckley. And we're grateful to our guests for taking the time to talk with us about their experiences. Thank you for listening.